Scripture today is found in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. 
and it says this. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead.
Church family, thank you so much for joining us for Church Online this morning. We're so excited that you could tune in. I don't know about you, but I don't consider myself a, a Disney buff, right? Meaning I, I don't tend to watch too many Disney movies because I just can't really get into them. Uh, don't get me wrong, I can watch Disney movies, and, and I have many times. But let's put it this way. I have a, a Disney threshold, Right? Uh, mine is about two movies before I begin to feel like these talking, singing, and dancing animals are plotting to steal away my sanity a little bit. Uh, and and yes, I'm, I'm aware that I have a daughter, and so I gotta get over myself at some point or another, because Disney is about to be on the menu literally non-stop for the next 18 years. I, I, I get that. But there is one Disney movie that I got into when I was a little kid uh, that I've actually always loved, and that movie is called The Lion King. Now, I hope you've all heard of The Lion King at some point, and you all know how the story goes, because I'm going to spoil it a little bit. Uh, so, so spoilers for a 26-year-old movie. But uh, at one point in the movie, the dad lion, whose name is Mufasa, uh, he, he falls a great distance, and, and he dies. Uh, and I remember that moment because when it came out, it was that kind of that kind of big movie moment that that kind of ages you, you know. Uh, you, you don't feel like a kid after that movie moment. Like Disney didn't pull their punches in movies back then; they made an entire generation of kids ball their respective eyes out. But an important part of that story is that the young lion Simba, Mufasa's son. Uh, and his response to it, right? And if you've seen the movie, you know that there were larger forces at play in the death of his father, yet it was obvious that it was a, a willful decision that led to Mufasa's fall. And that recognition came to Simba, where he understood that he was uh, a part of the reason why what happened to his dad took place. When that dawned on Simba, he became uncertain of the future that he still had as king and he ran away to try and become someone other than the person he was supposed to be. In running, Simba chose to abandon a role and the calling that he had previously lived in anticipation of and instead chose a different life of his own choosing. And this morning we're continuing our sermon series that's titled 40 Days. 
40 days. And through this series, we've been looking at the appearances of Jesus following his resurrection. And this morning, we're looking at one of the times he appears to his disciples following uh, his resurrection. And we'll be able to see that in the midst of situations that bring us to a point of uncertainty, we can trust that God is not finished with us yet. And that the presence of Jesus will meet us right where we are to restore us on the right path. This is a passage that puts the focus mostly on Peter. And while the rest of the the chapter will be explored next Sunday, ours this morning still puts some emphasis on Peter's reaction in two different circumstances. When Peter decides to go fishing with the other disciples, and when he realized that it was Jesus calling out to him from the shore. In part, this is the beginning of Peter's redemption. And just like how at the end of the Lion King, Simba has stepped up to his calling as the king after previously choosing differently, Peter and the other disciples will be reminded that God has called them to greater things and looks to restore them from the life that they were previously called from. God was not finished with the disciples yet. What this passage represents is a story of restoration. The definition of restoration is to return something to a former place or condition. And we see that our passage this morning is one where Jesus uses a miraculous catch of fish to restore the disciples to the calling that Jesus originally gave them, a life lived following in Jesus' footsteps and sharing the hope of the gospel. And so our first point this morning is this, uncertainty. This chapter serves as as an epilogue to the book of John uh, and tells of how Jesus appears to seven of his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. After the introductions in the first two verses that we read this morning, Peter is the first to say something in this chapter, and he starts off with just the most incredibly influential and life-changing line in verse 3. I'm going fishing. See, fishing on the Sea of Galilee was often done at night and and this night that disciples chose to go out and go fishing they caught nothing not a single fish was caught, was caught in their nets all night long and after an entire night of not catching anything the disciples hear someone shouting from the shore asking if they had caught anything and i mean who wouldn't get a li- just a little bit irritated at at something like that right and remember a lot of fishing that we do uh, these days is for sport, but back then it was done for, for sustenance and for, and for livelihood, right? It's like if a player from the Raptors was asked if they put any points on the board after playing a game when the player didn't actually do that, but this person had been watching the game the whole time and knew that they didn't at all. They already knew the answer, and, and as a Raptors fan, that illustration kind of hurt, especially this season. Or maybe you're a student, right? And you didn't get a good grade on a test and someone asked you if you got a good grade, but that person that asked you was actually the teacher that marked your grade in the first place. You get the idea. It's frustrating. And so the disciples to catch nothing, right? And then to be reminded that they caught nothing must have just been the worst, just the worst. And the text says it was it was dawn when the disciples heard this guy who was shouting at them to throw their net on the other side of their boat, right? Maybe they thought this guy who they didn't recognize at this point in time was in fact Jesus. Maybe he could see something from the shore that, that they couldn't 
And so decided not to question him. Uh, and lo and behold, they followed Jesus's instruction, threw their net onto the other side of their boat and caught a haul so massive that they couldn't actually lift the net back into the boat. And upon the realization of such a tremendous feat, of such an awesome miracle, right? One disciple, John, shouted that it was Jesus on the shore. As soon as Peter heard that, he jumped into the water and waded through it to meet with Jesus. Some believe that Peter was wrong to go fishing and that this was a compromised return to his former occupation, his, his previous way of life. Others believe, however, that Peter disobeyed no command from Jesus at all and he was simply just being wise and practical with his time. Before Jesus' death uh, and on their journeys with him, many of the disciples' needs were met by the charity of individuals. In fact, Luke chapter 8 verse 3 says, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Most likely, the recent death of Jesus dried up the people's willingness to contribute to the disciples. And so the disciples, not fully knowing how they were to be employed, could have returned to their former occupation of fishing in order to gain a livelihood. In the end, only the attitude of Peter's heart could determine if he was disobedient to go back to fishing. But it is important to remember that they only went back to Galilee because Jesus had told them to. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 7, it says, And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Either way, this fishing trip, at its core, it shows that Peter and the other disciples were uncertain as to what they should do next. The fishing trip clearly reveals the uncertainty of the disciples. And I find that uncertainty is often an important theme found in the life of a fisherman, right? I started picking up fishing uh, a, a, few a few summers ago, and I was all excited to try out this brand new hobby, this brand new activity I've never done before. So I bought everything I needed. I bought an outdoors license. I bought a fishing rod, which is actually right now just collecting dust on my bookshelf in my office uh, because of the pandemic. It's kept us so distanced. And I personally like the idea of fishing with other people. Uh, but that first summer I spent fishing, you know, I, I was hooked and pun, pun definitely intended. And so I caught my first fish that summer and I was so excited to keep trying. I just wanted to catch bigger fish, constantly wanting to beat the record size of my first one. But a handful of fishing trips went by where absolutely nothing happened. And that's when it dawned on me. Being a fisherman is either the most fun thing in the world or the most eye-gougingly boring activity you could possibly find. And that's entirely dependent on what you end up catching or not catching. Depends on how successful you are. It's an uncertain lifestyle to live because every time you go out onto the water, you're not guaranteed that you're going back to shore with a catch. What Peter failed to recognize in his decision to return to his previous lifestyle was that he was giving up the certainty of Jesus's promise to him and the other disciples for a life of uncertainty. I find it's quite easy for many of us to give up on the certainty that we have in Jesus's promise 
for our lives when life doesn't go in a direction that we initially wanted it to go in, right? The disciples were called by Jesus and they followed him for over three years and throughout that time saw him do incredible, incredible things. But despite all of what they learned, all of what they witnessed, on all of what they experienced, quickly turned back to their old way of living that Jesus called them away from. See, when we face discouragement and defeat and, and, and pain and hopelessness as a follower of Jesus, if we let it, it can push us to turn our backs on our faith and everything that Jesus has done in our lives to prove his love for us. And in that moment where we re-embrace what it is that Jesus had initially called us away from, we trade away the certainty that we have in Jesus for a life of uncertainty. And what I'm trying to say is that uh, even in the times specifically that we are living in right now with the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders surrounding us, it is easy to turn to the things that we know best to occupy us or to find that sense of purpose through our own strength in the middle of that hopelessness. But I encourage you I want to encourage you that no matter how bleak things may look in your life, Jesus has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. And you can be certain of that. Don't let your life of faith take a back seat in times of great disappointment because God still has plans for your life and can still use you and work through you in times like the one we're living in right now. As a follower of Jesus, we each have a role in expanding his kingdom here. We are called to love our neighbors, to help those who are hurting, to rescue those who are lost. And we shouldn't let these moments of crisis, like the one that we are living right now, push us to abandon that calling in favor of living our own way, separate from how God has called each and every one of us to live. People need Jesus. People need Jesus. The world needs those who follow him to persevere through disappointment and defeat in order for us to be fishers of men. And our second point today, recognition. If you look close enough into these verses, you'll find that there's a lot you can recognize from previous instances throughout the Gospels. And trust me, you're not, you're not experiencing deja vu here, and I believe that this is very intentional of Jesus to do for a few reasons. For example, uh, if you know the story of Peter, you know that this isn't the first time he encountered Jesus while out fishing. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8 to 10, Jesus is teaching people from a boat when he instructs Peter, who was then named Simon, to push his net into the water despite him fishing all night long and not catching anything. Sounds familiar. You're probably beginning to notice the similarities a little bit as well. And when Peter first encountered Jesus's power in a miraculous catch of fish, his immediate response was to cry out, go away from me, Lord for I am a sinful man. And instead of Jesus pointing out the past sins of Peter, he graciously and lovingly responded to Peter on that occasion by saying, do not fear. From now on, you will be fishers of men. So Peter experienced the Lord's grace when he first met him while out fishing. But here he experiences it again while out fishing. In fact, I only realized this as I was preparing for the message, but the disciples... They never catch a fish in any of the Gospels without Jesus' help. That's not to say they never did. As we know, many of them made a profession out of fishing before Jesus, before following him. 
they had to have caught fish on their own before, after all. But what's recorded, though, shows that the disciples never caught a fish without Jesus's help at any time, or every time, rather, Jesus helped. They caught more fish than they ever could have imagined. And going back to Luke chapter 5, verse 6 talks about how the nets began to tear as they hauled in this massive catch of fish. In our passage today, though, John tells us that the nets did not tear as they, start, had, as they had started to on their first miraculous catch. Once the disciples saw all the fish in their net, John was the first to recognize that it was Jesus. But Peter was the first to act. Once Peter is told that it's Jesus out on the shore, he jumps out of the boat and swims back to meet him while the other disciples slowly make their way back in their boat with their haul of fish. It is an, an in-the-moment emotional reaction, and it's more in line with Peter's typical enthusiastic character, I think. And because realistically, Peter could have just stayed on the boat with the other disciples and simply boated back to shore. He didn't need to get wet in the slightest. Jesus would have waited for him on the shore. I'm, I'm almost sure of it, right? Instead, he chose to jump into the water and swim his way to shore so that he can be the first to meet with the Lord. Getting back to, to dissecting this story a little bit, the rest of the disciples get to the shore where Jesus and Peter are and, and find that there is breakfast waiting for them. Jesus asks the disciples to bring some of the fish that they caught, so Peter sprang into action and dragged the net full of fish freshly caught to shore. In fact, I find it interesting that the disciples found it prudent to count each and every fish that was in the net, 153 fish total caught, and the net hadn't torn. I find this detail interesting, right, because it reflects both an eyewitness account and a fisherman's perspective. John, as an author, is an incredibly detail-oriented person, but the disciples who brought the net to shore displayed very fisherman-like characteristics in that they wanted to know how, how many fish they managed to haul in. I mean, who wouldn't want to know how many fish they caught after, after a certain amount of time out on the water? It, it's the mark of a successful fisherman, after all. And we can speculate that there is something significant about the number 153. And, you know, maybe there was, but I believe the significance of the number isn't as important as the significance of the miracle. Because of, because of the fishing miracle in Luke chapter 5, Peter and the other disciples came to see Jesus and themselves in a whole new light. There, Peter realizes he is not worthy to be in the same boat with Jesus. In John chapter 21, Peter and the others are once again amazed by Jesus and this miracle. In both passages, these professional fishermen were not able to catch anything on their own, even though it was what they knew and what they were skilled at. It's, what, it's the life that they were raised into. Once again, Jesus teaches these disciples that he is the foundation of their lives and that they should trust in him for all things. This miracle reaffirms their original calling in Luke chapter 5 to instead be fishers of men. See, the disciples are all waiting around at the start of our passage, living in uncertainty, wondering what to do with their lives. And it's and it's this miraculous catch of fish that allows the disciples to recognize who it was that was out on the shore and paved the way for the disciples to be reminded of the calling that Jesus had given. Once the whole group reached the shore, 
they found breakfast waiting for them. And, and I love this scene so much, right? And that's, I think mo that's mostly because I'm a breakfast person, uh, meaning I love having breakfast, but what heightens the breakfast experience for me is the opportunity to have it with someone else or, or with other people, right? Having breakfast to share with others to me is just such a, such a peaceful experience of fellowship. Right. And, and some of my fondest memories as a teenager was at our, our, our local Bible camp, right? Grabbing breakfast with a group of people and eating outside on the field or down by the lake or even at Bible college, waking up early and going to grab some breakfast and then just hanging out before classes started. I didn't always wake up on time for breakfast during Bible college, but there were times. I promise you there were there were moments. <laughs> I love it because it just prepares me for the day that was ahead. And so I love this scene here of Jesus having breakfast ready for the disciples when they finally made it back to the shore. It demonstrates that even after the resurrection, Jesus is still the humble servant. And he has prepared breakfast here for the disciples. This scene, is my, in my opinion, is made even more powerful since the night before, the disciples here had put aside the things that Jesus had called them to do following his death. And they went back to an old way of living that he had previously called them from. And I, want, I almost wonder how the disciples must have felt here eating breakfast with Jesus as if everything was back to the way it was before the cross. We're not told that there were any words shared during the meal. In fact, it jumps uh, later on in our passage to when they finish the meal. So we don't know if it, they ate in silence or if there were fond words and memories shared back and forth. I almost wonder what was going through the minds of the disciples, especially Peter, as it was surely still fresh in his mind that he had denied Jesus publicly three times. In fact, the fire that was used to cook breakfast here is, is a charcoal fire, the same kind of fire that Peter sat around when he first denied Jesus. But when looking at this scene, I'm reminded of how simply and how sensitively Jesus meets with us right where we are, wherever we may be. And I want to I want to sit here at this part of the passage for just another moment longer because it tugs at my heart every time I think about it. Right. When it comes to Peter, if I were in his shoes and my guilt from my past was weighing heavily on me like it often does. Surely his heart would break when he is invited in and treated so kindly by the person that he had denied, the person that he had rejected. Often when we miss the mark, right, when we make mistakes, when we fall short and into sin, what we think we deserve is far more harsh than what we actually receive from Jesus. But here we can see that that isn't the case. Yeah, Peter made mistakes. There's no doubt about it. And, and I don't want to take away too much thunder from next week's message finishing this chapter. But in this moment, we see that Peter wasn't brought to a formal court to stand trial for his sin, but was brought to an informal breakfast where he would be reclaimed by the incredible grace of our Heavenly Father. As we close off our message today, these days it's not hard to look around and find uncertainty at every single turn. You know, we face many different situations that affect our lives, our work, our finances, our families, our futures, and our faith. And because of that, it's easy for us to turn to something familiar and something that is within our own abilities rather than trusting God and moving forward with the plans that he has for our lives. It's hard to recognize in the middle of a crisis what it is we can actually be certain of 
in life. See, Jesus' presence with us, his presence with us and his calling on our lives is what we can be certain of. It's what we can be certain of. When we find our lives, or rather, whether we find our lives right now easy, hard, or somewhere in between, right? He is, he is with us. He is with you right now. And whether we find our faith feeling strong or shaken or somewhere in between, he never fails us and he never forsakes us. It is easy in times of, of great discouragement or hopelessness to turn back to something that we find familiar or something we feel that we have control over because there is a sense of comfort that can be found in those things. But it will not bring the fulfillment or the certainty that life with Jesus brings. Don't allow yourself to compromise for something less than what God has called you to because you think, due to whatever it is that's affecting your life right now, that you are no longer qualified. There will be times in our lives where our faith is tested in the midst of extreme difficulty, and maybe you can say that that is where your life is at right now. But in those moments, we will always find that Jesus meets us right where we are to restore us. He is a kind and he is a loving heavenly father. Jesus has the same care for us that he did for the disciples in our story this morning. Like he did with the disciples in our passage, he will provide for our needs as we continue to put our trust in him. In fact, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. See, each of us are on a journey when it comes to life and faith, right? Our lives can be filled with circumstances that can just be so hard and so difficult. We can easily be thrown into doubt and unbelief just because we can't understand it or are in a time of, of our lives where we can't escape the hopelessness around us. And just like we see in this story of Peter, John, and the other disciples, we can trust that in the midst of the situations that bring us to that point of uncertainty, God's still not finished with you yet. God isn't finished with you yet. He is still at work in you. He loves you deeply. He loves you deeply and wants you to draw ever closer to him. And when we choose to put our trust in Jesus and in the plans that he has for our lives, we can move beyond our circumstances, the guilt of our past or the uncertainty of our future and live with joy in our heart, trusting God to lead us every single step of the way. Promise. 
Who 